Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hey there, welcome to episode number 159 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. I am a life coach and a recovering alcoholic. So I put out a new episode every Wednesday talking about how to develop life skills, coping skills, how to deal with recovery, all of those things. That's what we do here. Every Wednesday, a new episode comes out. And occasionally, I do some extra things, live trainings, webinars, all that good kind of stuff. And I do have some pretty big things coming up just in the next few weeks, right? We've got a few things going on. So The best thing you can do is get in our free Facebook group, the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group. It's totally private. Nobody can see you're there. Um, It doesn't pop up on your newsfeed or anything like that. The only people that can see you in there are the other people in there. And I'm going to be doing a five-day live training in that group. This isn't going to be like other lives that I do where they're broadcast all over all the social medias. This will only be in the Addiction Unlimited group. So the best thing you can do right now is jump in there, join that group, and then you'll have all the information. I'll be posting about it. I think I just posted a couple of times about it yesterday for people to start signing up. And all that information is starting to go out. So it is a five-day live training. It's totally free. And we're going to talk about getting sober and staying sober and all the important pieces of that. I'm going to answer a lot of you guys' questions. I get emailed questions. I get DM'd questions. (laughs) I get private messaged questions. And sometimes I jump in that Facebook group and I ask you guys, hey, what are you struggling with right now? What do you want me to talk about? And I did that for this training maybe two weeks ago, and you guys gave me incredible feedback. Our Facebook group is such a warm and loving, kind, supportive place, which is exactly how I always want to be in recovery, especially. But in life in general, there are too many people out there that are judgmental and kind of tearing each other down and not being supportive and shaming you for your ideas or your passions or your goals. And I know for sure I have dealt with some of that in my life, right? As my business and entrepreneur goals get bigger and bigger and bigger, you have people that just can't see that vision. Same thing with quitting drinking or maybe leaving a really long relationship. When you start saying that to the world, people are going to kind of go against you, even if they don't mean to not be supportive. (laughs) It's just how it works, and it sucks. So that is one of the things that I always want everything I do in every group I have to be is supportive and kind and encouraging. Everybody's journey does not look the same, and it's not going to. Our exact details are never going to match, but we have so much 
to give one another and so much to help each other with and teach each other. We have so much we can learn from each other. And that's the environment that we have in all of my groups. So jump in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group. That is the greatest thing you can do. I will link to the five-day live training in the show notes so you can sign up for it. I'll put the link in the show notes and you will definitely find the link in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group. I will put that link in the show notes as well. You guys are going to love this episode today. I got one of the other most popular addiction podcasts. I rounded them up. It took me a little bit of work, but they're fabulous. You guys, we have Seltzer Squad, Kate and Jess from the Seltzer Squad podcast on Addiction Unlimited, and they are so lovely and delightful. I had an incredible time talking to them, and it's fun for me too as a an older person <laughs> to have these conversations with this kind of new generation and this fresh perspective on recovery and addiction. And it's just such an incredible conversation. I'm excited to share it with you guys. So here we go. Seltzer Squad. Hello, my friends. I know you are going to be so super stoked about this episode. I am so freaking excited. You guys love these guys, and I have been waiting to record this episode for weeks. I'm so excited, you guys. We have Seltzer Squad on Addiction Unlimited, bringing two awesome podcasts together. I love a good collaboration. So Kate and Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Why don't you guys take a minute and introduce yourselves and tell my listeners a little bit about you and what you do? All right. Well, I'm Jess Valentine, and I am a tattoo artist. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I am half of Seltzer Squad podcast, a podcast about staying sober in the city and just trying to um, stay cool and not boring, <laughs> I guess. I love that. Kate, you? <laughs> Thank you so much for having us on. We're very excited. I'm Kate, the other half of Seltzer Squad. I am a freelance art director. I am a grad school, hopefully grad school student for, uh, to become a therapist one day. What else? I'm a cat mom, <laughs> introvert, Pisces. I guess that really sums it up. Yeah. I'm a Pisces too. So. <laughs> the work and school consume most of my life these days. So I don't really have any other slashes to add on right now. Well, plus we've been in quarantine. So <laughs> I remember yeah. those. Yeah, I remember those days well when work and school took over my life. But I was already old. I didn't even go to college until I was 37, I think, or 38, something like that. So both of you ladies are in New York. I'm in Jersey, technically, but I'm right across the river. So we yeah. like, I identify as a New Yorker. We're very close. <laughs> We're very close, like two miles away from one another. But yeah. Oh, nice. So how... Has coronavirus changed your podcasting life? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we used to meet up in person. Um, how often? I don't know. Often enough because it also was just an excuse to mm -hmm. hang out with my friend. And then, yeah, this happened. And we've been doing everything, obviously, remotely. And it's been tricky. Um, you're, I don't, no one can see right now, but my mic just broke. I'm holding it up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just like been annoying. Kate is in her closet right now recording. So 
hopefully one day we will be able to hang out in person and record again soon because I do miss her. But it's kind of nice not having to commute anywhere, but it's also like kind of crappy to not be able to actually like see your friend in person. But yeah, we've just been doing the whole remote thing and it's actually really nice for guests that are far away because I feel like we mostly were just doing local guests um, previously. So we are definitely branching out, um, which has been really nice. Jess and I are not great planners. So this lends itself a little bit better to us, like of the spur of the moment, being able to jump on versus there was a lot of logistics coordination previously. So we had, we just moved, she used to live in Jersey city and she moved to Brooklyn while we were in production during this time that we've been recording. And so we had looked for like a little bit more of a mobile setup thinking like, Oh, well, I'll go there. She'll come here. And then the pandemic hit. So that just escalated us trying to problem solve this technology issue. And sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not. We've had a couple of days where nothing worked at all and something seems to break every time we try to record. But like she said, it does lend itself to like having access to guests who don't live here or have different schedules. We're a little bit more flexible. So I like the setup. I do miss her, but it, it has its, it has its pros and cons. I'm, I'm a little sick yeah, of sitting in works. this closet, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> it has, I feel like I've gotten very spoiled with mm. coronavirus because I too am an introvert. Like I literally could lock myself in my house and never leave. Like quarantine was really not that different from my regular life. Um, and so it took a little longer for it to be annoying for me, but, and I'm the opposite, right? And Kate, you and I were talking about this before we started recording where for me in the beginning, I recorded everything like traveling, you know, I did everything in person, but you know, all over the country, cause I've always traveled a lot. So that was very easy for me. But I've gotten so spoiled, like not having to drive anywhere, not having yeah. to fly anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, yes, drawstring mm-hmm. pants of whatever <laughs> variety, <laughs> like being able to just sit down and log on and do your thing has been really, really nice. So what made you girls decide you wanted to start a podcast? So I had just gotten sober again for, I don't know, which go around this was. And I was actually at a live podcast with my friend uh, saying like my favorite murder. And he had just started a podcast production company. And so he asked me, Hey, do you have any ideas for any shows? Because I'm looking to add some shows to my production company, just, you know, whatever. And I was like, no. And I definitely wanted to do one on sobriety because at the time the only one that I really listened to was home with Holly Whitaker and Laura McCowan and they had kind of ended it or it didn't seem like it was coming back. And I really missed that because I had obviously binged it and like listened to it all and I had nothing to look forward to. So I was thinking that it would be kind of nice to do my own. But again, I was like, who do you think you are? Like, no. And so I told him no, because I was still also like ashamed of like the whole sobriety thing. And then the next day he asked me again, he's like, Hey, seriously though, if you think of anything, let me know. And I was like, okay, well, I have an idea, but I don't know if you're going to be into it. And to my surprise, he was super into it. And then I decided, um, I was like, well, I think uh, it would be better if there was like me and someone else. And Kate 
was my sober support at the time. And I reached out to her and she was very interested, a little hesitant about burying her soul, unlike me, who just doesn't give a fuck. But um, she said yes. So um, that's pretty much how it was born, I'd say. I was secretly sober, like close people to me knew that I was sober, but I wasn't really broadcasting it to the masses that like I had a drinking problem. I had, I was proud of myself, but there was still a lot of shame around it. So when Jess reached out to me, I was excited because you don't really get to talk about sobriety in your day-to-day life. So I needed that outlet and knew that it was important for me and my sobriety, but I was really hesitant about like the public aspect of it, but I was, you know, if you can't, I think it was like, Glennon Doyle said early on, I think she was a guest on the home podcast and she said, your, your purpose is in your pain. And that's always something that's stuck with me because I, if I would have known now what I know then or whatever, how that saying goes, like the key to so much of my happiness now is built on the back of my sobriety, which has caused me so much pain. And, and even just making the podcast has brought me so much happiness and so much growth. And that all just goes back to, you know, being scared. For sure. Do you feel like doing the podcast and becoming more public with your journey has, like, how do you see healing that has happened in yourself just through having this outlet to talk and be so open and transparent? Hey, you go first. (laughs) I think for me, it's helped it's helped with Jess because Jess, like she said, lives very out loud. And so observing Jess and being close to her and having her in my corner has helped me feel more confident to be more unapologetically myself and to live out loud. And also it's helped us both. I think in, we have to really know where we stand in this arena and we have to know what we're willing to put up with and what we're not willing to put up with. And we've, I think we do a really good job of having each other's backs in the in this public arena, because, you know, like the people will pick you apart for anything and everything. And I think having her on my team has helped me. Like we stand up to bullies together. We avoid criticism together. We like deal with tricky situations. We, we do everything together. And I think just having her to protect. And I think she, well, I can't speak for you just, but I feel protected by her so that the partnership for me works really well. I wouldn't be able to do it without her because I need her not only as my host, but as a friend and as like a confidant to do this and be able to show up in the public eye and deal with all of the fucking bullshit that we deal with every day, not only in sobriety, but like also just internet trolls. Yeah. For me, I feel like the podcast has helped in a few ways. A, I've gotten closer to Kate. B, I'm not as ashamed anymore. It's kind of become a sense of pride being sober rather than shameful. Like I was a drunk. I don't look at it anymore as like I have an alcohol problem. I look at it more like I'm sober. I'm doing the right thing for myself. I'm choosing myself. Um, And lastly, very important though, is that the podcast honestly helps keep me accountable because I do not want to let, forget about letting myself down. I don't want to let Kate down. I don't want to let the squad down. So 110%, the podcast holds my, holds me accountable. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that you said that too, because I never, like, I didn't have the shame part about being an alcoholic, which I didn't know was strange. Right. But I didn't realize that a lot of other people have that piece. Like I just felt I felt relieved 
because I felt like once I understood what the problem was, then I knew how to fix it. Mm. You know, even like going to AA, like I felt like I was a part of this super exclusive club mm. that not everybody could get into. <laughs> like I thought I was involved in the coolest thing ever, you know, being mm. sober and really just getting my shit together because I was such a disaster of a human for so long. And that's what I was shameful about. I wasn't shameful about the alcohol part. I was shameful that I felt so weak because I couldn't handle my problems in my mm -hmm. life, you know? And I was always like, what the fuck is wrong with me that I just can't deal with anything? You know, why am I drowning every feeling, every problem, everything in my life with alcohol? Like what is wrong with me? So it was the not being able to cope that I felt bad about, but I guess I kind of didn't relate it even to the alcoholism part. I don't know, but I just always felt awesome being an alcoholic because it fixed me, you know? Yeah. So I was always super proud of that. I always felt like it was my superpower. Mm, that's interesting. I know, right? That's like our whiskey brain, right? But you said that in the past that being sober, sobriety is like a superpower. And it, it truly is, though. I know it sounds silly sometimes, but it's like, it's kind of amazing. And people are like, okay. It's like, no, no, no. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is because it made me. It, it made me an individual with inner strength on a level that I never knew I was capable of. And had I not been an alcoholic and had to get sober, I would have never pushed myself to those limits and beyond to realize how powerful I really am. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have stayed like bitter and resentful and angry like a lot of other people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I would have never yielded. You don't get to show up with a mask either. Like you, you have no choice but to show up as who you are. And whatever amount of acceptance you have for yourself like has to be enough when you show up. And so like some days I don't like myself, but I don't have the option of not showing up as myself anymore. I don't have, I'm sober. I don't have a choice. I have to feel those feelings of, I don't feel worthy in this circle, but I still show up. You know, I think that's the important part where drinking me would either get drunk and show up as drunk me, which was a projection of a billion other insecurities, or I would feel shame and I wouldn't show up mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. So I would lose either way. And now it's like, I show up, which is more than half the battle and I have to be myself. And like, we know now, like no one's really thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves, totally. but the whole time before me was only thinking about everyone else. And now I show up and I'm like, yeah, they might even be thinking about me. Like who fucking cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. my sponsor always told me, um, my sponsor was like, you know, Angela, whatever anybody else might be thinking about you, it's none of your fucking business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, and that's a projection of themselves. Yeah, usually, yeah. it's like excellent point. Yeah. It's so much better to just mind yes. my own damn business. <laughs> For each of you, what would you say is your lowest moment in your sobriety, and how did you get through it and stay sober? Ooh, that is quite a loaded question. That's a good one. You said lowest point in being sober or drunk? Sober. sober. Yeah. Sober. Go first. Cause I don't even know. So I was in my first year of sobriety and my, um, my grandmother passed away and I'm extremely close to my grandmother. My mother passed away. So it's my mom's mom. So I have two sisters and 
through losing my mom at a young age, all of, I realize all of us grieve very differently. So coming into the situation when her mom died, it was like a really big part of re-grieving the death of my mom again. And I'm going to break out in hives. So you've all been warned. Um, so I went home really with no tools except for white knuckling. It was just like, you know, don't fall apart, just get through this. And I remember my sister asked me to speak at her funeral and I was like, absolutely not. Like I was so composed. I was like tightly, so tightly wound, like a washcloth, like, like that with just trying to stay composed and not let anybody see me kind of crumble and fall apart. And so I was like, absolutely not. And I remember, I don't even think I cried because I was just so feeling so unstable about letting all of my feelings out and then becoming completely uncontrollable. So I was trying my hardest to maintain control and we got through the funeral and my sister, I'm like very type A. I'm like, we're leaving at this time. I'm on time. I'm punctual. We're doing this. We're doing that. This is what's happening. And my sister has kids. And so obviously she's on their schedule and things are in flux. And so for me, to, when I go home, I live in the Midwest, I depend on other people for like transportation and basically depending on everybody else for everything. So that's also really difficult when you're in sobriety because there's no way you can really help yourself when you're really dependent on other people. So we were going over to my aunt's house to go through some of my grandma's stuff. My grandma loved jewelry. I love jewelry. So I was excited to go through some of her jewelry to to keep a part of her, whatever. So she, she's late. We're, we're like leaving late. I'm upset because I'm like, not sure why we're not just going to over there. She has a million excuses. She's a terrible driver. I made a comment about her driving and then she proceeded to turn the wrong way down a one way and she proceeds to get very angry. So now we're like fighting in the car and I'm a flight. I'm not a fight. She's a fight and I'm not a flight. So Tensions are starting to get escalated in the vehicle. And I just say, like, stop the car. I want to get out. Stop the car. I want to get out. And she would stop at a stop sign. I proceed to open the door and we proceed to get into a physical brawl, like slapping each other, like slapping the shit out of each other. And I think it was just like the, for both of us, the grief hers comes out in anger and mine comes out in like, I need to retreat and I need to, you know, like go cut take cover and feel my feelings alone over here in the corner where no one can see. And for me, I was just like broken wide open because I looked to my sister for so much validation. We didn't speak for four months after this happened. I was like sad and sober back in my apartment in my real life. And I had just felt like such a big failure because I didn't know I really didn't do anything wrong. I was asking for my needs to be met and they weren't really being met. And she told me that I was like a, a cold, heartless person. And as a sober person who's feeling all these feelings, that was really hard to hear because I was like, but I am feeling literally, I, there's no, there's nothing inside of me except for heart at this point. Um, and then obviously four months later, we started speaking to one another again and have since resolved all of that. But that was literally the lowest because I felt totally and my feelings were totally invalidated and I had no tools to protect myself or how to lay any boundaries. And I was like gutted for, I cried for months after that. I never knew that story. Jesus. <laughs> I never heard that story. And you are, you have broken out in hives. I can see full blown hives. <laughs> Okay. So when you went home from that event, like what did you do to keep yourself from drinking? So I went 
immediately when I went home from the car scene, right? Like I called my dad and I said, I'm going to Bismarck, which is the nearest airport to where I live. And I'm getting a hotel. Like I need to remove myself from the situation and you need to drive me to Bismarck. So I'm happy that I at least asked for those needs to be met. I was cognizant enough to say, I know I need to remove myself from the situation. When I was in that hotel room alone, though, I was like this, no one would know. Like nobody would know, you know, uh, if I drank and got super shit faced and I chose to call a friend who I felt safe around and who also knew that I wasn't drinking. And she, you know, came over and I think we ordered a pizza and she just listened to me complain about why I wasn't wrong. And then I went to bed and I went back to my normal life. But I, I just, my heart was broken that so much that like I wanted to I knew that drinking wasn't the answer though. Like I knew that that wasn't going to make my sister not mad at me or make my grandma not die or make us not have gotten into a fight and me not really just being able to ask for my needs to be met to say like, okay, if you're running late, like I just need you to be clear with me that you're running late and I'll find a ride. Like that would have solved the whole fight. But instead I wasn't able to ask for what I want and she wasn't really considerate enough to say like, hey, sorry, I'm running late, you know? So Drinking wouldn't have helped any of that, though. It would have solved none of those things. Yeah. I think I figured mine out. <laughs> I haven't been sober as long as Kate. I about two and a half years this time around. And um, I would say the hardest part has been um, I'm engaged to get married. And my fiance recently went back to drinking. So dealing with that and seeing how that fits into our lives and how we you know, I let her figure that out while I still set up my boundaries and have, you know, show up for myself without being judgmental. I'm really trying to work on separating myself and my feelings and my just issues around alcohol from hers or what, like, I'm trying not to project Mm -hmm. and, you know, everyone's journey is different. Um, We, in the beginning, we were getting an to a lot of fights about it. And now I'm kind of just we're at the point where I'm keeping her in check and we are able to have like calm conversations about it. But for me, it's just kind of, you know, living with the reality of things aren't always going to be the way that I want them. They're not always going to be how, you know, laid out to make my life easier. You know, I'm like, I don't want you to do this because that's not how I want it, (laughs) you know, but everyone's journey is different (laughs) and who knows, maybe she'll stop drinking again. Maybe she won't, but that's not really for me to decide. So just kind of giving other people the respect and really trying not to judge. But again, finding that like sweet spot where you're still setting up boundaries for yourself and respecting yourself while also respecting someone else's choices. So for me, I would say that's like, I don't know if it's like a low, low, but it's definitely um, a learning process that I'm going through right now, which feels like so low. Like I'm, this is horrible, but you know, obviously in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's just kind of learning how to readjust and realize that the world doesn't revolve around my sobriety, you know? (laughs) Like it should, by the right. way. Right. Like, well, come on. 
But you know, honestly, that is, this is a huge struggle. And I hear, you know, I am a, uh, I've never been married. I don't have any kids. That was not ever anything I really wanted in my life. Um, I think it's magnificent for other people. It's just not my strong suit. <laughs> so, Fair. But this is stuff that, that we talk about a lot, right? And that I hear a lot of people, members in my community and stuff talk about having a drinker in the home, like when they quit drinking and the challenges around that. And we're always having those conversations about how to set boundaries and, and how to be respectful of each other. And obviously there are different levels of drinking and different levels of how problematic that's going to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it is hard. I mean, don't minimize it. Like, you know, there are much worse things. I mean, of course there are always worse things, but, mm. but that is a challenge that is kind of in your face on a daily basis. So yeah, yeah that's pretty big. And to stay sober through it is huge. So far. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you, Jess, like a victory that you have that you maybe not have identified as that is that you have wanted to drink because Mm -hmm. of your partner starting to drink again, that phone, that like phone sure. creeps back in. Like, am I, are you sure I'm not missing something? And I mean, I think what I'm really proud about is that you're able to, you know, walk yourself through that whole situation to know that it's not actually drinking that you necessarily feel yeah, like, like you're missing. Like you on. said, when you were in the hotel room, basically we're, we're, in a hotel room for the past year, like no one sees what's going on in our lives. It would be really easy for me to be like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to have a couple of cocktails tonight and no one will be the wiser. I'm not going to post about it on the internet. And then, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll just go record the podcast. And I'll pretend like nothing happened, you know, but, um, I, yeah, it's just, it's not going to fix anything at all. So, I just keep reminding myself that. And when I was feeling that, when I was going through that, I kind of did it. Um, I got a lot of NA spirits, um, was making a lot of mocktails. And now I've passed it. I've gotten that out of my system. I'm like, like, I don't really care anymore. So yeah, but I think like just it shook me up a little bit. It shook my sobriety up a little bit in the beginning because it's like I had this person that didn't drink with me. We were like partners in like sobriety crime. <laughs> and yeah. now it's like, what the <laughs> no. So um <laughs> I feel like that's always in the back of my head. Like, well, maybe I could drink responsibly now, but it's like, is it even worth trying? Like, sure, I'm sure I'm sure some people can. And be totally fine. Maybe I could, maybe I can't. I don't know, but I'm not going to sit here and try to do that right now, especially because everything good in my life has come from sobriety. As you know, cliche as that sounds, it's the truth. So I don't really think it's worth kind of um, poking the bear right now, you know? <laughs> I know absolutely for sure, even after being sober as long as I have, there is no way I would drink in a controlled manner. <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, it doesn't even interest me, right? Like if I'm going to have one or two of anything, I'm going to have a Diet Dr. Pepper or a coffee, like one or two does not do anything for me. I don't <laughs> drink alcohol for the effects of one or two. Right. You know it's like, I mean? what's the point? You're just wasting what money. What is the point? Yes. I can't even moderate. Yes. Yeah. I I can moderate like the <laughs> NA 
wine. Yes. I will literally drink a whole bottle it's of so any funny. wine. It's so funny. And you know, this is so big right now too. This whole NA drinks mocktails is so big right now because there are so many options. Mm-hmm. When I got sober 750 years ago, they didn't have any of that stuff. It was O'Doul's. <laughs> it was O'Doul's. That's right. So one <laughs> night I had my experience with O'Doul's and Kate was exactly what you said. Like I drank those things just like they were regular beer. I'm going pee every 15 minutes. I still had a freaking like $70 bar tab. Yes. You know what I mean? And at some point I was like, it just, I felt like I was putting in the work of doing the drinking and I wasn't getting the result, right. Mm. Of being of buzz. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of messed with me. It didn't necessarily make me crave a drink. It just messed with me a little bit and it made me uncomfortable. And I've never done mm-hmm. an NA thing from that point forward. But for me, I'm always like, it's funny, you know, because people get so hung up on this stuff and they get so hung up on what's in their glass and what does it look like to other people? And what am I going to say? And I'm like, who cares? Like, who cares what's in your glass? Like, drink yeah. whatever you want. That is like the least important part of the whole equation is what is actually in your glass or what label you want to give yourself. That's the other thing that's super popular right now is you yeah. know, alcohol-free and sober-minded. And so I don't even know what else. Sober curious, sober tourist. Gray area <laughs> drinking. Like there's all these things, right? And I'm like, dude, I just can't fucking drink. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. care. You know, Whatever we just have- label you want to put on me is fine. I'm a drunk. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. Drink, you know, <laughs> we just had an email. Kate, I didn't even tell you this. A girl wanted us to do an episode on how to be a functional alcoholic. And I'm like, ma'am, you're like, ma'am, been there and done that. Yeah. But no, we already did that. We also, tried that. Yeah. Clearly, we failed at that. Like, you can't. It was just really funny. I'm like, honey. Yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> definitely not the one to ask about that. <laughs> But you know, I did a whole, I did do an episode about the difference between high functioning and high bottom, because I think people Mm. get those very confused because Mm. really I was very high functioning. I had a beautiful life, you know, for all intents and purposes, I looked like I really had my shit together. So, but on the inside, I was a disaster. Mm. So I was high functioning, but I had a fairly low bottom, you know, I crashed and I hit another car and I thought I killed the guy that I hit and I had a whole trial and I was facing pretty substantial jail time and it was, it was gnarly. So I had a low bottom, but I was still very high functioning. And I feel like people get those things confused. So it, I also don't want to glaze over like the, the people that have a very serious chemical dependence on alcohol. I, was a blackout drinker for sure. And I didn't drink every single day, but if I did drink, I had more than five, seven drinks in one sitting. So while my life circumstances and my bottom looks different, I thankfully wasn't at the point in my disease where I was physically dependent on alcohol for daily functioning, but I was also, you know what I mean? Still abusing alcohol and it still wasn't working for me. So again, like people want to feel some kind of way about my journey. I think that's also kind of goes back to your 
one of your first questions is like, I have just to have my back in that arena when we need to come up against like the judgment bullies, because the way you live your life, especially if you're somewhat happy with it, will trigger so many other people to reach out and then tell you how wrong it is that you're living your life some kind of way and being happy about it. Yeah. It is such an incredibly personal journey and everybody has to figure out their way, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. why, even though I'm a 12 stepper and I love 12 steps and it changed my life. There's plenty of stuff I don't like about 12-step programs too. Mm-hmm. Um, like anything else on the planet, you're going to love some stuff. You're not going to love some stuff. But even though I'm a 12-stepper, like I don't care what anybody else does or how they do it. You know, the things that I learned sitting in the rooms of AA and from working with my sponsor, which truly was probably the greatest experience of my life, but all this stuff that he taught me and everything I learned in those rooms that's not the only place to learn that stuff. (laughs) It's like, you don't have to be sitting in the rooms of AA to learn those basic principles or those life lessons. And I know I've been a life coach for a long time and it's all kind of the same stuff. You know what I mean? It really is just about becoming a better human. And I think Mm -hmm. where sobriety has made it better for me and having that room to go to created just, just like you were saying that accountability, I had maximum accountability. People expected to see me. And if they didn't, there were phone calls and I loved Mm -hmm. that, you know, and it also gave me friends. It gave me other like-minded people to hang out with. So I didn't have to feel isolated and alone and different from all my drinking friends. You know, I had sober people to hang out with. So, I I mean, it was awesome, but there are so many different ways to do it, especially now there are so many different ways to do it, programs to follow, people to follow. It's like, it's awesome. I love it. And if anybody bullies you girls, because now I'm in like protective mama bear mode, if anybody bullies you, you tell me, I will handle these people. (laughs) Thankfully, we don't get it too much, but like, you know, it's the people, people can be cruel, especially if you are putting yourself out there authentically and, and talking about, you know, areas of your life and growth that you've had, people will feel some kind of way about themselves, you know, projected through your story. And so that's why I think we've both been helpful to each other when the feedback, whether it be, you know, on Instagram or on our emails and stuff like that, it's been nice to kind of have each other to, to bounce like keep each other in check on like how angry are we going to let this make us and then we'll decide and then we'll let it chill and then we'll come back to it and who knows what kind of day they're having you know like that person it's just like it's funny how as humans we tend to focus on like the one negative feedback then all of like Mm -hmm. the praise or people thanking Mm -hmm. us for like oh my god your podcast helps me but we're like uh but this person over here doesn't like me so like (laughs) you know it's that person laughs stupid but Yeah. It's just like you said, when you put yourself out there, people are going to think that their opinions um, are wanted. (laughs) So The funny thing about that is I cared what people thought of me when I was drinking. I care way less about what people think of me and my sobriety. So that's why I mean, you would have told me that a year ago and that would have ruined me for a month. And now I'm just like, okay, next. Well, it's funny too, because I feel like when people do say something negative, like a lot of times, like I've gotten a few negative reviews, like on Apple or whatever. And it's so funny because a lot of times they're not even people that actually listen. 
Or Kate, it's just what you said. It's about them projecting their own stuff. You know, so I had (laughs) somebody say that I was so dramatic, they couldn't even listen to me for five minutes. And I was freaking dying, right? Because I'm I'm not dramatic. And and I'm like one of the least emotional people on the planet, thanks to my trauma. But (laughs) (laughs) but it was just, it was just so funny. And the, I couldn't even listen for five minutes. I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to let this bother me. I I also Mm -hmm. had somebody one time tell me, um, say that I talk too much. And I was like, well, (laughs) duh. (laughs) Signed up for this. I I have my own podcast. I love it. That person was like, I couldn't even listen for five minutes, but I'm going to take about 10 minutes to create an account to write a review. Yes. I thought the same thing. Yes. I totally thought the same thing. And the people who are like complaining about what you're doing are the people that aren't doing anything with their lives anyway. It's like, okay, that's great if you don't like what I'm doing, but what are you doing? But the other part of that is too, it has taken me, I'm 48, I'm going to be 49 in June. It has taken me a really long time to become a human being that I am so fucking proud of. Like if there is one thing on this planet, I do not doubt it is myself, you know, and Mm -hmm. it has taken me a long time and a lot of heartache and tears to get to this place. So I kind of don't care. You know, if somebody needs to take a shot or just, just like you said, like really you don't listen for five minutes, but you carved out this special (laughs) piece of time in your day to say something mean, right? Like that says way more about you than it says about me. Absolutely. Yeah. If your negativity, if you have that level of commitment to that negativity, it's like, we've got bigger things to talk about and it's not me and my drama. Exactly. <laughs> but even if you don't have a podcast, like you, like our squad gets trolls in their everyday life. It could be your mother-in-law. It could be your coworker. It could be somebody who is a little bit pissed that you're starting to like yourself mm-hmm. and that you're changing and that you have a little bit more confidence. And so they're going to say something shitty to like knock you back down a peg. And you like, like you said before, like the only thing you can depend on is yourself and I unequivocally am showing up as myself and I feel confident in myself, like not every single moment, but like, you know, net overall way more confident than when I was drinking. And so therefore when those cheap shots, like even in my personal life happen, you're just like, okay, like good for you, Jane or whatever the fuck, you know, whoever said something like glad you got that off your chest because I know I'm showing up as confident confident Kate. I'm not showing up as like ashamed hungover Kate anymore. I'm like, okay, well then that's on you. Like, for sure. you know what I mean? You take that with you then. For sure. My sponsor said to me really early in my sobriety, he said, you know, the thing is, he said, when you're in the lead, you're also in everybody's line of fire. And I was like, oh, so like the first couple of times I got a negative comment here and there, and I've never had anything too bad for sure. But Um, but that's kind of how I thought of it. I almost looked at it as a badge of I'm going the right direction, you know, (laughs) like things are happening the direction I want them to, you know, because that's just part of it. Okay, girls, last question, favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? You go first. (laughs) You've got loaded questions. These are great because I like (laughs) questions that have like never been asked. What is my favorite thing? Um, 
I don't know if there's anything in particular, but I honestly am just so much more. I'm, I'm just proud of myself of all the things that I've achieved since getting sober. And I 100% know that I would not be able to have achieved these things if I were still drinking. So I think really just kind of liking myself more. I think that's just my favorite thing about being a sober person is that I'm definitely more confident. Um, I know I'm more self-aware. Um, I have a better self-worth. I have more respect for myself. I think that all of that really, yeah, all of that, just everything about myself like, <laughs> is I owe to being a sober person. Amen so to that. Not, yeah, I would not be the same person if I I would be a loser. <laughs> you know, just going through <laughs> like emotions. I was. <laughs> yeah, I just have more ambition, more like I said, more self respect, um, more respect for others, for boundaries, and I owe it all to being a sober person. So yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So good, Kate. What about you? Um, for me, I think it's knowing being able to deserve, well, two things. The biggest thing is that I used, when I first went to therapy, I said, I feel like I'm in the passenger side of the car and the, of my life and the car is going very fast and I'm the wacky, wavy, inflatable, flailing arm man. And like, I was just in reaction mode. So I was reacting to people, I was reacting and I felt totally out of control of my own life. And like, everything was happening to me and it was my fault. You know, it was like, I couldn't help any of it. And I think through a lot of work and a lot of digging deep into my emotions and what I choose to believe about myself, other people, what is said, you know, in the world that I just feel much more in control. I feel like I'm the one making decisions. I feel like life has slowed down. I don't feel like the, I don't want to say the world is against me, but I just feel much more collaborative. And I know that if I'm showing up uh, confidently in a situation, if somebody says something to try to rock me, that I know my own truth that I showed up as my as my confident self. And I'm much more in check with my emotions a lot. I used to swing from like, you know, dead heartbeat to like extreme. I was just all day long swinging from thing to thing, usually in reaction to something that was going on. And now I'm much more patient and a little bit more balanced. I used to think those people were really boring, but now I just realized that those people are actually happy and they're not like trying to fuck with my business. And that's why I thought they were boring before. And so now I feel like I'm just leveled out, like thanks to sobriety and medication therapy, you know, a supportive circle, all of the things, but life is just easier. Are you at peace, Kate? <laughs> yeah. <I guess>. Right? <laughs> I'm just, like more, more peaceful moments. But I think in the last year of sobriety, I've just turned five years sober in February. So in the last year, I've really been working on the roller coaster of emotions of this like extreme thinking and extreme thinking about others and then playing off of others extreme thinking and really trying to ground myself in is this my business is this their business what does this mean about me like you said before is somebody you know is that even my business so i think that has been the emotional awareness for me part has been the most exciting thing in recent years is what i choosing to believe nice Myself. I also used to think that those people were really lame. <laughs> now I realize they were just well adjusted. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> they just had better boundaries also. Like I would, I would remember going to work and like feel like I would come without makeup on. I would be hungover. I'd come with my egg sandwich and my huge coffee and my Gatorade and my Coca-Cola and my banana. And I'd like slump down at my desk and I'd want to hide because I felt gross and I had anxiety and I would see like, you know, six or seven, they always sat in marketing, like six or seven marketing girls would come in and like put their handbag on their desk and their hair would be nice. And like, you know, they would sit down and like do their job and then they would leave at five o'clock and I would stay till nine and wonder why my life was a mess. And I just realized that, yeah, you're right. They were just self-adjust. They like had self-respect. Yeah. <laughs> they like got up at the yeah. end of the day and been like, I did a good job. I am leaving now. <laughs> and they didn't make it mean a bunch of things, you know? Oh my God. So yeah. I just want to work in marketing. <laughs> I just want the marketing look. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just want. I just want to. Ladies, together. thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. What an absolute pleasure to get to know you. And my offer stands. If anybody bullies you, I will kick their ass. You just let me know. We will. We'll tag <laughs> thank you. you, Angela. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.